Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, empowering intelligent care. Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, empowering intelligent care, a podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine. I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Each fall, Iodine hosts a client symposium, Iodine Connect, that brings together leaders in CDI, UM, and revenue to share insights, expertise, and proven strategies for tackling some of healthcare's biggest challenges. For this month's episode, we're bringing you a session from 2023's Iodine Connect, scaling success, implementing new technology across your entire organization. We hope you find this session to be enlightening. Um, Thank you all for coming. Uh, This is our topic. We're gonna talk about implementing new technology across your entire organization. Um, really, we're going to tell stories. Uh, I think all of you have implemented new technology across your organizations and probably have had failures and successes like we have. Definitely want to hear your feedback on what we're doing well, what we might not be doing well, and what we could do better. Um, there's a little bit of history on me. The, the important thing to know there is it probably should say 30 years. I'm probably the oldest guy in the room. Um, have implemented probably over, I don't know, 500 implementations or more in the last 30 years, if you include all the hospitals. Um, But I'm just happy to be here because if you were here last year and you listened to the keynote speaker, the the only thing I got out of his whole AI presentation was that if you're 55 or older, you're you're done. You're you're pretty much, (laughs) you're you're never going to catch up. It's, uh, you know, AI has already passed you by, which uh, I'm living proof that that's not true. So. Uh, right. <laughs> and I want to introduce our panelists. I think you know, probably know everybody here. Um, Dr. Matt Stewart from Johns Hopkins gave a great presentation this morning, as did Rhoda, um, the national CDI director for Stewart, and Sharm Brody, who is an industry expert in CDI, and may have, a lot of you may have already gone through her classes. So um, they're the experts, and I'm so thankful that they've joined. I've, um, was told early on to surround yourself by smart people and they'll, they'll make you look good. He failed. And they, no, I'm <laughs> it's not true. Um, these are the topics. We're going to get through this quickly because I know you all want to go do the 20s thing and start drinking. So, uh, But I like this quote by Mark Kennedy. All the biggest technology innovations created by man, the airplane, the automobile, and the computer says little about his intelligence but speaks volumes about his laziness. Um, I think... Every software that I've implemented over the last 20 years, including iodine, they're designed to make our lives easier to automate processes. And most of the time, uh, if you've bought it, hopefully that's the experience that you've had. That's not always the experience. And um, you know, the benefits are obvious. We've talked about it. I don't need to repeat everything that we've talked about today. Um, the risks are there too, culture change. I think uh, one of my first forays uh, out of the military, uh, we, I had hired some guys that were doing marketing information, data collection, and analysis. And these guys had developed a, in their previous life, a forms tool, an electronic forms tool. And granted, this is in the late 90s. And I had a friend who was a chief resident neurosurgeon at Allegheny General in Pittsburgh. And he said, you know, every time I go to a baseball game, I get a call from a resident and says, hey, can, you got to come in and look at this image and they couldn't interpret He's like, I'm so tired of missing like, the best part of the games. Can you build me something on a Palm Pilot that I can look at, yeah, on, uh, that I can look at these DICOM images? And so long story short, we, we built it for him and we put it in the hospital and the neurosurgeons loved it and his bosses. But the reason it failed was the CIO and the CMIO weren't ready for mobile technology. 
They didn't trust the security. Um, they weren't ready. It was a too big of a culture shift. Um, and then we got bought out by an offshore company that said we're services, not product, and yanked it out anyway. So um, that was uh, that was an example of a, a good product, but not considering all the, the potential risks of implementing new technology. And um, so. Uh, overcoming challenges. I like this quote too. Uh, I've met General Mattis when I was in the Marine Corps. He's a great man. He said, leaders can't depend on emails or written words. Leaders are not potted plants and at all levels they must be con constantly at the critical point doing whatever is required to keep their uh, team energized and engaged. Um, he also said, uh, be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Um, we, we don't, we don't, he, he, he said that to his Marines in Iraq. That's not a that's not a healthcare quote, but uh, but he but he is a great leader. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But he's but he is uh, he is one of the greatest leaders because he got on the ground. I have a good friend that worked for him, uh, who just retired, a three-star general, and said he was he was the most well-read person that he ever met, and he was just down to earth. He got to know what his Marines were doing down at the corporal level and uh, all the way up, and he, he was conversant with every single one of them. Um, and I, I like calling Rhoda, um, because Rhoda implemented Artifact and then Interact at uh, first Tenet and then uh, Steward. And I mean, all told, that's probably, what, 130 hospitals, right? And this, uh, I mean, the processes of, being successful, it's, it's people, technology, and processes. But if you don't have the right people, you're not going to be successful. And I think uh, you have the right people uh, at, uh, at Tenet running the project, right? Um, would you, what would you say about like, the leaders that you chose? I remember sitting in that room. I, was, I think it was San Antonio, right? And we had to interrupt some of the travel talk. But from a leadership standpoint, it was all there. They understood the goals. They explained it to the team. Um, they understood the product. They had re thoroughly researched the product to make sure that it was going to plug a hole that they had. And then they communicated that downward. And so nobody was surprised when it came. Uh, can, you, can you corroborate? Yes, that, that <laughs> is true. We, I work for my leader. She is excellent and, and gifted at everything she touches. So when you have leadership that freely shares the information, allows the feedback for you to give feedback so that you can make sure that things are perfected or at least as good as they're going to get. So then when you go um, to, the, to the masses, you're all on the same page and you have to, even if you had hesitancy in the meetings, the, the mastermind meetings, when it goes out to the masses, you have to be sure of yourself and and sure of your product, even and explain it. Speak in the language that your learner understands. So that's the thing. I'm gonna, you know, you, you speak the language that they need to hear. Um, and if you get all of it taken care of in the back end, your your rollout is seamless. Um, Physicians can be contrary, and I can say that because I raised one. My daughter's an internist, and she's contrary. So you have to make it matter to them to make their life easier and carry candy. I always did hugs and kisses. So. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you don't, <clears throat> I think, 
uh, what I've seen um, a lot of times too is your end users are getting systems imposed on them. They're not necessarily part of the decision-making process. And we'll talk about addressing change man management in a minute, but um, if you have a leader that's maybe part of the decision-making process but isn't willing to communicate that downward, then you know, having something imposed on you that's new and different. Um, one of the things we did with Interact early on was um, we did the user design process. So we, we sat down with CDI and coders and said, like, what do you do in the morning? Um, they're like, well, the first thing I do is I log, no, like really, do you get a cup of coffee? Um, and then do you sit down and start looking at your inbox? Or, um, so we learned, we, we put 50 of them together and we did the same thing with physicians and we learned what their day-to-day -day work was and they have, they have day jobs, right? And when you impose something new on them, they immediately start to feel anxiety. And if you don't communicate that, yes, there's gonna be a learning curve, but it's gonna turn out well, then it's hard to get past that. It's hard to learn effectively, so. Uh. Especially with CDI. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta remember, most uh, of us were not young nurses when we went into CDI, so getting right. us to even understand CDI was hard. Or move forward. I'll bet you everybody in the room thought about quitting after three months, right? Maybe six? Three days. I was going to say, I, raise your hand if you actually got a hold of your old supervisor and said, can I come back? Mindsets are hard to change. That's right. Yeah, they are. And that's, what, um, that's why leaders need to help organizations do that. Um, I like this quote by C.S. Lewis. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for a bird to learn to fly when remaining in the egg. And that really speaks to our complacency, right? We get comfortable. <laughs> we get comfortable with processes, and something new comes along, and we're immediately skeptical. And it was kind of, I was thinking about that when you made your quote, like, there's no machine that can do uh, or view better than me. That's that's a quote by Rose. That's exactly what it's I said. It's probably still true, like, but maybe faster. Maybe um, faster and much more efficient. But as humans, who moved my cheese? So we want to go to the same route to our cheese. And even if there's a shorter route to the cheese, I know how to get my cheese and I'm going that way. And then one day the cheese is gone. Um, like I, I told the last group and some of you all were in there, healthcare, if I think about my 34 years as a nurse, I remember a cardiologist telling me that estrogen protected a woman's heart so that she wouldn't have MIs. <laughs> we found out that was wrong. Um, um, we, we also used to keep right. MIs in the bed for like seven days. And so if you're in healthcare, things will change. And the, as soon as you get um, comfortable, something's going to change. Thank you. Yeah. And engaging stakeholders. I think, um, Dr. Stewart, you had a huge challenge, right, to overcome. I, uh, uh, so at the Armstrong Institute for Patient Safety and Quality, we teach uh, techniques and methods of change management in a leadership academy. It's a year-long year course. And we use Cotter's method, which is the cute penguins on the iceberg, you know, which is like build a burning platform and have an early success and share decision-making. And it's really, really great in, until you are in a recalcitrant provider situation, in which case the Cotter method doesn't help as much. Um, and so does, does anybody know when discharge planning starts for an admitted patient? At, at the time of admission, yeah. And, and, so, and so that's, 
that's that's barrier thinking. That's that's barrier thinking. Like, why can't my patient go home? And they can't go home because there's a list of things that those are barriers that have to be overcome for successful discharge. And so, change management with provider education uh, is a lot about trying to identify what the barriers to adoption are. And maybe it's going to be the data centric focus. Uh, where do the data come from? Show me the data. I need to show that this is. That this is that this is real, and so okay. Well, we have a we have a data metric uh, barrier remediation uh, strategy where we can get stakeholder engagement because we we share the data. Maybe it's A three thinking, and like I need to know what the problem statement is, who the team is, what the metrics are, what the key indicators are, and how we know when we're done. Show me the smart diagram for what this issue is, and I'm like, that's fine. I can be specific and measurable and attainable and relevant and timely. We can do that, um, and so there's. There's this contrast between barrier thinking and high reliability organizing principles of, of sensitivity to operations and deference to expertise. And so if you don't take into consideration those two issues with a significant provider engagement, you're going you're gonna to struggle a little bit because, uh, you know, the first time I heard uh, the fount of, she's on our faculty, she's the creator of high reliability organizing in healthcare, Dr. Kathleen. Sutcliffe, the first time I heard her say sensitive to operations, I thought it was the best thing ever because that means people are going to be sensitive to my operations. And then, uh, but that's not, it turns out I was wrong that that's not what, that's not what she meant. Um, and, you know, even, even in a Lean Sigma approach, let's say you've got a certified back belt, you know, they would say, go to the Gimba and uh, find out what the Kanbans are. So, so when you go to your new service line that's being op expanded uh, and they don't know who you are or what you're doing, you know, you go and meet with them and whether... Uh, you know, our first manager, Megan, she and I had a couple 4.30 a.m. meetings because that's when her surgery services met. So we went and we said, you know, here's the issue, here's the problem statement, here's the one-minute elevator pitch, and we're going we're gonna to help you and guide you on this journey. We'll do it together. And, and that, was, that was what was successful. Other teams, if we advised them to meet at 4.30 in the morning, would have uh, kicked us out of the room because they're still sleeping like regular people. <laughs> some, some uh, we talked, we're chatting here about... Um, uh, really negative things that have happened, like uh, someone throwing a chart at you or expressing themselves with profanity. And so I'd like to say that that never happened to our CDS team, but I don't want to be honest with you. So we had some, you know, one provider that said, under no circumstances will you or anyone on your team talk to any resident of my service for the rest of the year. You won't, not once. You want every single query to come to me. And me and only me, because I'm here to educate. Medical education is what we do, and this is not part of medical education. I need to teach about heart failure, and so that's fine. That's great. But all your queries will go to that one person. And their partner, two hallways down, said, I don't ever want to see a query. Don't give it for the whole rest of the year. Please do not give me a query. They're my patients. I understand. But I want them all to go to my residents and fellows, and I want you to print them out on a pink sheet and deliver it at 6.30 in the morning and, and tape it in the, in the team room and what will happen is the team will see that and they'll see a query and someone will do it and cross one off. And so they said, okay, that's fine. We'll get it. But we got, once we got our, a foothold in that difficult uh, engagement, you know, with barrier thinking, like what are the barriers with this team and this service line and this hospital and this division, um, that, really, uh, that really helped us to, you know, get the traction we needed to have adoption. Thank you. Um, that, we didn't plan this transition, but that's actually a great transition to the next topic, impl implementing best practices. 
and this is a real quote, there is no face unhappy enough to express how unhappy I am with my experience using this software. <laughs> that, was, that was a quote from a resident early in, in band camp. That's the, that, we say band camp to protect you know, the innocent. Um, it wasn't iodine, it wasn't artifact, it was previous, but we had developed uh, software that allowed attending physicians to design their own progress notes. And it was in an academic environment and so they, they would design these five-page forms with everything they absolutely needed to absolutely bill you know, at the highest level possible. And of course, who had to fill out those forms? Residents. Um, we almost had a whistleblower, but best practices are built through uh, repetition, right? You learn from your mistakes, you build a better process, and it's constantly iterative. And if you do that, you know, by the time you're into your third or fourth implementation, it's as smooth as you know, a steward or a tenant or you name it. Um, hopefully, those of you in the audience have experienced the same thing with iodine. Um, did you want to say something? I look like no, you're I'm right just laughing. Okay. No, I, you're going to laugh, but I was thinking of when yeah. the, I taught a boot camp many years ago where iodine's head people came. And there was a girl in the class, and it was just so funny. She was part of implementing iodine, and she found out who they were. And Wade was actually the guy she attacked, I guess, in the boot camp, pretty much, because she just she was honestly unhappy with the whole process. Mm -hmm. And it was just it was funny, but it was I guess for me to watch the process. He spoke with her, asked her all the right questions, got her to calm down. And then, and it was something that was being implemented at her facility. She, nobody asked her if she wanted to do it. It was done, and I and everybody's done this. They've implemented, you know, a million dollar program, and they've never asked the people that are actually going to use it. You know, what the end result will be, and how do we do it, and all of this. Um, and but it was just funny getting this person to calm down by just saying, okay, what would you have done differently? What could we do that would be better? And all of a sudden, her whole attitude, because I'm going to tell you, fangs were out. <laughs> the claws were out when she found out. And I'm going to tell you, that was probably nine years ago. But it was, it was an honest-to-God experience. They, would, they right. just happened to be in the boot camp together. Right. I mean, choosing the right people is important, clearly, um, to, to get the right message out to the team. But as a vendor, we have to establish that clear roadmap, um, I, I think. Through the years, we developed a, a very clear model for how to onboard and engage physicians. It's like a 12-step program, um, but it, it actually works. And uh, when it's not followed, I, mean, I can give you so many examples of where, uh, and it's partly our problem, not communicating it, but follow the best practice. Talk to a customer that's done it. Don't, you know, don't go off the rails. We had, we had one hospital that decided, uh, we, have a, we had an online training module and their user said, or their leader said, well, our, our team, our CDI encoders like paper. And so they, we said, look, this, this works. We've done it with over 150 hospitals successfully. Um, don't create a 200 page document with screenshots of our application. We have an online training module. We have online help. They did it anyway, killed a bunch of trees. When we went on live on site for the go live, all the CDI coders had like a stack of papers and they were, they were like, they didn't know what to do. They were lost. We said, just slide that into the trash. Um, give us five minutes to go through this module and they were fine. It worked well. But, uh, and that's part of effective user training. So 
The last thing, obviously, is having a good support team. You have to have a support team that's responsive, and they have to be educated and be prepared to, if they don't have the answer, assure you that they're going to get it and get back to you as soon as they do. So, uh, measuring success. Uh, do what you love, and success will follow. Passion is the fuel behind a successful career. Um, I had some other slides here that showed my, uh, I love like talking about my grandkids. I have my, my two-year-old grandson is completely, I, I, I was gonna tie that into like, don't be a Shep, he's a, um, my one grandson is, he thinks through everything and, and Shep just dives in as he's a two-year-old. He shows him walking up to the pool, puts his arms up and jumps in. Nobody there to catch him. And, and sometimes you have to do that with, with new technology. Um, it, you know, certainly you, you hope that if you're at that point, um, that work has done, been done for you. But um, Meg Whitman was the former president and CEO, CEO of HP. And I like that quote because almost everybody I've met in healthcare is very passionate about their jobs. And they care about helping people. And um, that's, you know, their metrics and goals are aligned to help people. I mean, when you do quality documentation, um, when you're trying to capture patient safety uh, indicators and all the things that you do are really to improve the care and reduce the cost of caring for patients. And that's why I love being a part of a system that is really doing that in healthcare. Um, user feedback is critical. You should feel like your feedback is getting back to the product and improving it. Um, and that's one of the things that AI is doing to accelerate that. Um, I have a friend that uh, his company builds those new page size chips and without going, without getting technical, it allows, you know, I want to get in the MIPS and everything else, but the things that we can process and how fast we can process is just accelerating so, so quickly. It's, it's, it's maybe, maybe it is time for me to get out. I don't understand it, but <laughs> I, I just know, I just know that it's good and um, all the capabilities there and that user feedback should be. Uh, improving the models that you're that we're using and I know it does I see it I see it happening and you I'm sure you have too um, I don't know, has your your team has given us a lot of feedback on the product over the past four years and a lot of those uh, a lot of you sitting here have given us ideas as well that have gone back into the product so hopefully you've experienced that that's the thing with iodine though we're interact the feedback is accepted and it's not well this is the way it is so this is what you get they, um, I had a list of, I had a wish list yesterday. So they do incorporate that um, into their into their products. It's the easiest company I've ever worked with. And I'm not always easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, do what you love. If, if you, if you don't love what you're doing, I mean, one of the nice things before uh, we became part of IDENT, we were small enough where if we would tell, talk to a customer about our best practices and they, if they said, well, we don't want to do that, we'd say, okay, we'll just move over here. And they would come back to us you know, maybe a year later and say, okay, yeah, we heard your product really works, so we're going to do it now. Um, but do what you love. If you, if you don't love what you're doing, there's a lot of things out there that you can do. Um, and as far as selecting solutions, I think everybody in this room um, there was a question in the, in the previous uh, session about you know how can we be sure we're selecting the right technology, and I think Nick's answer was ask ChatGPT, right? Well, just try to avoid the hallucinations that are in there. Um, 
I had I have I was telling Dr. Stewart I asked that my my son's in the Air Force, and uh, he does he's a, does pararescue. And I said I said tell me about Chase Werner, pararescueman, and it said Chase Werner was won the Silver Star in Afghanistan in 1999. I mean he was he was like seven years old at that time, um, so you have to be careful, but. But you can learn a lot. I mean, if you have, has anybody in here not used chat TPT or open it? You probably don't want to raise your hand um, or Bard. Um, I had another picture. My, he's actually an artist. I went into Bard and I was there with my grandson and I said, what do you like? He said, butterflies. And I said, what else? He like mirrors. And he said all this stuff. I was punching it in and it spit out this image that was just incredible. Like uh, this incredible piece of art. So, um, I mean, the, Okay, I'll admit I've not been in that. Yeah. Chat I have, but not that. Right, yeah. I mean, it's amazing uh, what's available out there. But um, user feedback is critical for us, and I think that's, uh, you know, we definitely want you to keep giving it to us so we can make the product better. Um, measure your success. I know your organizations, when they purchase a product, especially like iDyne, you have baselines you're going to measure and you should be measuring those. I think it allows you to encourage your team to continue using and um, implementing the, the product as, as you move forward. So, I'm, I'm usually a positive, pretty positive person, um, but I would probably counsel expectations for generative AI for note creation um, to be of low quality. Great point, and I forgot I was going to mention that. Um, I mean, the AI's been around for a long time, but if you looked at the, the LEK presentation this morning, you saw it was really just January of this year where OpenAI started being used uh, by a lot of folks, and I mean, just about every technology company is adopting it in one way or another. Um, but I don't think, you know, I look back 30 years, I joined a marketing analysis company. We built this, long story short, we built this database that had never been built before for 560,000 retail outlets. Um, CPG, like 7-Elevens, to track all their data for candy and tobacco companies. And they had to match all that data. No matter what they did, they had the smartest people in the world at this company. They could not match 100% of all those different ways that they were describing those brands. And I believe even with the technology today, until deep learning, if we understand what deep learning is, until machines really start to learn, right now this is it's still garbage in, garbage out. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be at least 20% of manual intervention to make automation really good, to make good automation accurate and better. So uh, someone said it early. I, I think I think this kind of technology creates more jobs and more opportunity, not less. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap there. So I know this is really important to all of us. But, um, but I but I. But I really do want to, I want to thank all of you for your comments today, but especially the panel here for taking the time late in the day. Um, so thank you, and I look forward to having a few drinks with you soon. Yeah. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us this month. Make sure you're subscribed with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next month with another episode. Until then, I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Thank you for listening.